If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, pull those out, turn to Jonah. Continue in that series. This last week, Chris and I uh, had an opportunity to go to uh, Dallas for a uh, discipleship conference put on by Right Now Media. And uh, we had a, a great time of being fed, not only at Hard Eight Barbecue, but by the many preachers and pastors that were there to divide God's word. It was a great time. Uh, I ordered and signed us up for this conference months and months ago and got a great deal on <clears throat> plane tickets and conference. The day before we left, we flew out uh, Wednesday evening. I'm sorry, morning. It was more like Tuesday evening because we had to be at the airport at 4 o'clock. <clears throat> the day before we left, Chris came up to me. He goes, Joel, uh, why are we going to Florida on the way home? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, we have a layover in Florida. Oh. See, I knew that there was a layover, but I just assumed that it was like to Houston and then to Denver. Uh, I didn't click on the little details button that lets you know where the layover is. So anyway, we got a few extra hours of quality time, Chris says. All right. <laughs> he could have said something else, but he said quality time. All right. Hey, well, we're on our approach into Orlando, and the stewardess is on the microphone like they always do. If your connecting flights are going to blah, 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 your gate is going to be so-and-so. If you're going here, your gates are going to be so-and-so. Uh, we have two passengers <laughs> that are connecting back to Denver from here. Whoever the two passengers are, fire your travel agent. <laughs> so Chris fired me uh, <laughs> from planning trips in the future. So uh, it, it was... Huh. It was quality time. <laughs> Have you ever heard these statements? God is an on-time God. You ever heard that? It's never late. He's on time. He shows up on time all the time. In fact, you've probably heard this one. God is good. How often? And all the time. I mean, do we believe that? All the time, he's good. We, we, we just sang about it, that God is good all the time. Hmm. You ever heard this one? God is a way maker. He makes a way. And as Miss Jan uh, just mentioned a moment ago, there may be some of you here today that are in the midst of a storm. We're, we're, we're reading this beautiful beautiful piece of ancient Hebrew literature in our Bible that tells a story that is so much more than just a guy and a whale or a big fish. Today we're in chapter 2 and we're going to see how God made a way. He made a way for Jonah. These statements, as true as they are, uh, I think that uh, may lose their punch at times. They may lose their, 
they're mmm, that, that what we're, words that are coming out of our mouth, we really don't grasp the gravity of those statements. Speaking of storms, I, many of you have heard my testimony of when God called me into ministry. It was in the year 1996, the pinnacle of, of my coaching career at that point. The church that Catherine and I were attending and volunteering in, uh, the youth pastor of that church had uh, taken another position at another church. The pastor came to me and said, Joel, I know you coach and you're off in the summers. The greatest part of teaching is June, July, and August. Uh, not anymore, it's just June and July. But, but anyway, he came to me and said, Joel, would you mind just kind of filling in for our student ministry over the summer months while we look for our next youth pastor? I said, well, sure. So that started doing that, and in August of that year, we took our students to student life camp in Waco, Texas at Baylor University. Sick and bears. Um, on Thursday evening of that week, Scott Crenshaw was preaching that week. And he preached a message about Peter getting out of the boat. At the end of that message, Catherine and I were walking back to, with our students to the dorms where we were staying. And <clears throat> I looked at Catherine and said, did you hear what I heard? And she said, I think God wants us to go into ministry. I said, that's exactly what I heard. For the next two years, I continued to coach uh, there at Cooper High School. And in 1998... Coach Allen, who I had been uh, on his staff for, for all those years, took another job at Highland Park High School in Dallas. Very prestigious job. And, and by the way, this, this past week, <clears throat> had the opportunity to meet his daughter-in-law and talk with her, Jenny Allen. Some of you have heard of her uh, with if gatherings and those kind of things. So um, was able to go up to her and say, hey, listen, you asked a question at the beginning of this your talk today, and you ask the question, name the person, name one of the people that have had gigantic impact on your life. Who, who is a person that has made a huge difference in your life? So I went up to her after the speech and I said, listen, Jenny, you don't know me, uh, but I've been keeping up with you and your family for the last 20-some 20, 20 years. But the person, my answer to your question at the beginning of your talk was Randy Allen. Oh. I can't wait to tell him that. I said, well, I, I just wanted you to know that he is the one that taught me about the Foursquare life. That he learned from Camp Kanakuk. And, and I, I just finished my, my doctoral project on something that he poured into me and the rest of our coaching staff. Randy Allen made a huge difference in my life. And so that was a nice little reunion. She caught me up on him. He just passed the threshold of 400 wins uh, in his career. And so it was good to catch up there. But in 1998, after he took that job, another head coach came to Cooper High School with a completely different coaching philosophy, a completely different approach at motivating Kids. Now, one of the things that Coach Allen did not tolerate on our staff was cussing kids. You didn't cuss. We're not going to scream and yell. We're going to inspire them, but we're not going to cuss kids. Well, man, I bought into that completely. Leadership was his thing. And then this new coach comes in, and he didn't have the same philosophy. He brought a bunch of his staff in. And I promise you, I, 
I had never been around that much foul language in my life. My life entered the storm. What is going on here? See, I, when Coach Allen took that other job, I wanted to go with him. I went and sat in his office and said, Coach, man, I want to go with you. Can, can you bring staff with you? He goes, well, I only got a couple of spots. And I know there were other coaches that wanted And they went and sat and talked with him. Well, I didn't get to go. I was in the storm. My Nineveh was the calling that God put on my life in 1996. My Tarshish was to go with Coach Allen to Dallas. I wanted to go a different direction. Had he taken me, there's no telling where my life would be today. I was in the storm. Catherine's job took a turn for the worst. We were in the storm. As the year went by in 1998, uh, it became increasingly more difficult for me to sit in those staff meetings and listen to the language. I was not happy that I had to stay there and be a part of that staff. I wanted to be somewhere else. And I entered the belly and things got difficult in a hurry. In 1999, I was not partying like it was 1999. I got a phone call from my brother-in-law who was pastoring in Sterling, Colorado and said, Joel, I need a youth pastor up here. Why don't you come? We accepted that call and our life has been on the journey of ministry ever since. It's been quite a run. It's been quite a a ride with God on these last 20 years. I still look back and think, man, what if, what if Coach Allen would have said yes? We pick up today in Jonah chapter 2. We're going to actually start in the last verse of chapter 1 just to help us set up context. We see in the end of chapter 1, verse 17, that the Lord appointed, everybody say the word appointed. God appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And we get to chapter 2. Look at what it says there. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the belly of the fish, saying these things. Isn't it interesting that we're well into this story before Jonah says a prayer? Now, we saw prayers in chapter 1, but it was those sailors, man. It was those sailors that were praying. We get to chapter 2, and Jonah finally prays. And he prays out to Yahweh, to God. And this is his prayer. Chapter 2, verse 1. I called out to the Lord out of my distress... And he answered. Can we stop for just a second? Is there somebody here today that is in distress? Is there somebody watching online that you find yourself in distress? Somebody's reading the Bible over there. 
But notice that God heard him. And I need to tell somebody today, God's listening. Huh? God's listening. Are you praying? Are you in the middle of, of a storm? Are you in the belly today? Is your marriage in a place where you're crying out and, and you go, man, this is, I'm in the belly in my marriage. What about your job situation? Are you in a place where, like I was, where it, things are not looking good? I just need to remind you, he's listening. He's listening. Jonah says, man, I cried out from the belly of the fish, and he heard me. Keep going in that verse. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. I need to remind somebody today that God's listening. You may feel like he is a million miles away and can't hear anything. Your, your prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing off. And one of the things we can learn from Jonah today is that when we cry out, God's listening. He hears us. Please make note of that. God heard him. When, when Garrett was, I believe, in the third grade that we lived in Sterling at the time. Oh, I, uh, I, I do need to make that point. You can put that slide back up there. That God brings storms in our life to get our attention. But he brings great fish into our lives to show us grace. He brings storms into our life to get our attention. But he brings great fish into our lives to show us his great grace. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But when Garrett, my oldest son, was in the third grade, we lived in Sterling, and uh, one of the days out on recess, uh, the bell rang, and all the kids are running back in towards the building. Garrett gets there to the door. The door is, it's a heavy door, and it was uh, closing. Garrett's running up to the door, and, and he's stopping his momentum with this hand while trying to catch the door before it latches and, and right when that happened, this hand goes through a plate glass window and, and a big gash on his arm. And he starts bleeding, and, and uh, they quickly take him to the hospital. And, and as I remember, they, on the way, he said, I want my dad. So they call both Catherine and I, and we make our way as quick as we can get there. And in that moment, they have him in this room, and they're working on him, sewing him up. And that moment when I opened the door and walked in and we made eye contact. Him being a good Bundick boy, he didn't cry. The pollen in the air really got to him and me. But I could see on his face relief and safety. Because daddy was in the room. And I'm guessing that this was one of those moments in Jonah's life that when he was in the midst of the belly, when he was in the worst place, he cried out and he heard him. God heard him. And I need you to know and remember, church, when we are in the worst places of our lives, we're in the worst situations we can imagine, God's listening, and he hears. Be encouraged by that today. Learn from Jonah. 
learn from Jonah in this spot. Let's, let's keep, keep going in our passage. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and, then, and the floods surrounded me. Did you catch that? Did you hear it? Right, let me read it one more time. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Well, I thought in chapter 1, verse 15, uh, when the storm was raging, he said to the sailors, throw me in. And they said, man, we can't do that. That ain't right. Verse 15. So they, the sailors, picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Yet in chapter 2, Jonah, in the midst of the belly of the fish, in the worst place, he's, he's imagining his doom. It's over. It's at the end. And he recognizes this in his prayer, that it is God. It is God who cast him into the deep. See, God puts storms in our life to get our attention. He brings great fish into our life to show us his great grace. Do you realize what would have happened to Jonah had the Lord not appointed a great fish to come and swallow up Jonah? Now, now picture the moment. The sailors, they throw him in. Scripture says at that point the seas stopped raging. And do you remember the scene in the, in the movie Castaway? When, when Tom Hanks, I can't remember his character's name, is, is out there on the raft. And uh, what's the volleyball's name? Any, Wilson falls off and is, remember that? And he's, Wilson! And he swims and gets to the end of the rope. And there goes Wilson. See, in my mind, that's what it looked like there. That Jonah was drifting away and that boat was sailing off. And he's out there treading water. I don't know how long he was treading water. What does it look like in your world? See you guys. See, God sends great fish to show us his great grace. God had a plan in all of this. And so, so, so he sees, he sees in verse 3, for you cast me into the deep. He learns that God is in control of everything. God is, has not let go of the steering wheel. God's got you. I think we had somebody preach that message here not too long ago. God's got you. He's not letting go. We just sang a song. He's holding on when the, the night is holding on to us. God is holding on. He's not letting go. Jonah recognized who was in control and knew what was going on. It was God who hurled the storm to the sea. It was God who appointed the great fish to swallow him up. God was in control. It was an act of extreme grace. So there's one of the lessons I want to point out. Might, might jot this down in your notes. One of the lessons that Jonah learned, he realized that he deserved punishment. 
He deserved it. Jonah was in this mess because of his decisions. He was the one running from the presence of the Lord, and he finally comes to a place of going, I deserve it. I deserve to be punished. Jonah was on the bottom. He couldn't go any further. Do you remember last week we talked about this theme that the author of of Jonah was presenting that he went down to Joppa. He went went down in the ship. He, He went down in the water into the belly of the fish. He couldn't go any deeper. He realized this. The question is, have we realized this? That God is in control. That God's got you. Or do we still think that we're pretty good, that, that we don't deserve punishment? Do we de- I don't deserve this. I'm, I'm a good person. I go to church on Sundays. I, I don't deserve to be treated like this. God, what are you doing? I've got my own plan. I want to go to Dallas with Coach Allen. That's not a bad thing. He's a godly man. He's a godly coach. He's doing, the, he's doing it the right way. And I want to be a part of his staff. It was only when Jonah got to the lowest point that he was ready to surrender. Listen, the great fish was an extreme act of grace on God's part. It was. Unmerited favor. There's a second lesson I want us to see. Is that he realized he was incapable of saving himself. He didn't have the ability to save himself. Have you realized that? Or are you still convinced that you can fix it? Are you still convinced that you can fix your marriage? Are you still convinced that you can fix your health problem? Are you still convinced that you can fix your job, your employment situation? Are you still convinced that you can work it so that other person gets fired and you'll be okay to stay right where you are? You know, we we remember the story of Jacob who tricked his dad out of uh, his blessing. He tricked his brother out of his blessing. And for the next however many years, he's kind of exiled from his family. He finally sets up a meeting to go meet Esau, which in his mind is not going to turn out very well. He's expecting that uh, Esau is going to bring the hammer. So he sends gifts out in front of him. And that night, after he had sent uh, people in front of him with gifts, he lays down in the camp. And who does he meet there? He meets God, and he wrestles with God that night. You see, God had a different plan for him, not to be killed by his brother, but to change his name from Jacob to Israel. Oh, what about Joseph? This arrogant teenager who gets sold into slavery and ends up in Potiphar's house and all this hardship and, and, and persecution that he goes through, and that's all setting him up. God, what are you doing? He ends up overseeing all of Egypt, second to Pharaoh. Paul and Silas in jail, Acts Acts chapter 16, I believe, when they're they're beaten because they had kind of called out that girl who was messing up their ministry. And, And so anyway, they end up jail, beaten, probably closer to death than they were to live. And what were they doing down in the bottom? of that prison cell, singing praises to God. 
Jesus, Jesus said this, whoever will find his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Huh. Jonah realizes that the only thing that he has going for him is that God is for him. Do you realize that today? If, if you're not in the midst of a storm today, will you write that down? And just keep it in a side note. Maybe on the inside cover of your Bible, on, on one of those blank pages, hey, man, when I go through the storm, next time I go through a storm, the only thing I got going for me is that God is for me. Mm. Jonah realized that. Let's keep going in our text. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet, yet I shall again look. He, he says, I will, now I remember to, to look again upon your holy temple. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. Can you imagine the environment inside the belly? How slimy it was in there. What other carcasses of whatever that fish was feeding on is in there with him. It must have had a nice pungent aroma. And, and weeds, picture this, weeds wrapped around his head. And there are some today that would feel that God's got them in a place where weeds are wrapped around their heads. And how horrible the situation is. You know, the thing you got going for you today is that God is for you. God is for you. But look at verse, the last part of verse 6. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Jonah's still in the belly. And he makes this claim. Verse 10 of this chapter is not the great uh, deliverance verse. Verse 6 is the place of great deliverance. His heart is finally changed. His heart is finally set free. Yet, yet, how does he say it? Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. That's the place of great deliverance. It's interesting that at his lowest point, he remembers God's greatness. It is here that Jonah declares his recognition that God delivers even before he knows he's going to be spit up on the beach. He's still in the belly. The third lesson I want you to see is that God is the holder of salvation. We see that in, in, in verse 8. Now let me, let me read verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered. I was about to die and I remembered. Someone needs to remember today. Everybody say, Remember. Remember. Do you remember that great classic American film, The Lion King? You remember the scene when Rafiki says, follow me, I know your father. And he takes him down to whatever that little pool is or whatever, and, and he touches the pool, and, and then all of a sudden up in the clouds, the great voice of James Earl Jones Simba, you are more than you have become. You are my son. Folks, we need to remember who we are. We are a child of God, and he's with us. He hears us when we cry out to him. 
He is with us. And the thing that we got going for us when we're in the midst of a storm is that God is for us. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who trust in their own opinions forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who lean on their own understanding forsake their hope of steadfast love. But with the voice of thanksgiving, verse 9, but with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I've said, I will, what I've vowed, I will do. And here's what many theologians say is the central statement of Scripture. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That all of the Old Testament lines up with that statement. All of the New Testament lines up with that statement. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Hmm. Do you believe that God's a way maker today? Are you still depending upon your own abilities, your own charisma, your own talents? I pray that each one of us, when we face a storm or face a great fish in our life, that we would be quick to remember who's in control, that we would remember who hears us. And the only thing we got going for us is that God is for us. Remember that. Remember that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Life is really hard. Amen? Anybody? Life is really hard. Do you trust that God is near you? Bad things happen. Huh? Hmm. Do you trust that God hears you? Are you in a mess due to someone else's storm? Like those sailors that were on the ship? It was Jonah's storm. Do you trust that God will provide a way out? And we finally get to verse 10. (laughs) It's the third time that we see the word fish in this story. It's the last time. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. See, without that fish, Jonah Jonah would have drowned. It's a great thing to recognize that God is in control and God's got us. And those times when we feel like the mess that we're in is the worst thing that could happen to us. I guarantee you Jonah did not like the environment he was in for three days and three nights. But that fish was an act of great grace on God's part. And he has done the same thing for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Because, folks, we're in a mess. We're in a bind without a Savior, aren't we? And God so loved me and he so loved you that he sent his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him will not perish, but say it, will have everlasting life. Will you trust in the way maker today? If you're in the midst of the storm, will you remember God? Will you turn your face towards him and call out to him and cry out to him? He's listening. 
He's listening. We need to thank God for great fishes in our life. Let's pray. Father, in these, these moments of, of silence that we're going to take, I, I, just to give you a, a moment to have the last word, Lord, maybe you want to point out to someone's heart that, that you're near them in the midst of what they're going through, that you're listening, you're waiting for them to cry out. And Lord, today, I ask that you hear their prayers and remind them of your nearness, that you care about every detail of what's going on in their life. So, Father, touch our hearts in these moments of silence. Lord, as we come to your table this morning, I pray that our hearts, the posture of our hearts would be right. That we would have a time like Jonah had of, of remembering, remembering you and, and cleaning up our heart and getting our pride out of the way, getting our self-confidence in our own abilities out of the way that, Lord, we would find ourselves kneeling before you, that we would lay our heart before you and praise you for being our Savior. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask those that are going to help us serve the elements to make your way to the front. And church, I'd encourage you to, as Scripture teaches us, to prepare our hearts uh, to come to the Lord's table. You know,